All right, just that's it for announcements. We're going to jump right in. If you have a Bible with you this morning, turn to Hebrews chapter 11. We're going to be looking at verses 23 through 29 as we continue to just chip away at this great letter. Again, Hebrews 11, if you need to borrow a Bible, you can raise your hand real high and the guys will be happy to let you borrow if you need. Verse 23 through 29. All right, you guys good? I entitled our message this morning, Faith for This World. The focus really is on Moses, the life of Moses. And so, verse 23 through 29. If you're there, I'm going to invite you to stand with me. Scriptures tell us that by faith, Moses, when he was born, he was hidden three months by his parents because they saw that he was a beautiful child and they were not afraid of the king's command. And then by faith, Moses, when he became of age, he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. Esteeming the reproach of Christ, it's interesting, right? That he would esteem the reproach of Christ, greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he looked to the reward. The idea is he looked forward to that. And then by faith, we read, he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. And by faith, he kept the Passover, the sprinkling of blood, lest he who destroyed the firstborn should touch them. And then lastly, we read, by faith, they passed through the Red Sea as by dry land, whereas the Egyptians attempting to do so while well, they drowned. All right, we'll pause there and let's pray. Father, we thank you for the morning that we can gather here and to have the blessing and the privilege to do so openly and publicly. Father, we know there are so many of our brothers and sisters in this world that they don't have such privilege, Lord. And so God, forgive us for taking such things for granted. So many of our freedoms and liberties, Lord, we can easily take for granted. Lord, as your word says, we're to come and we're to worship you in spirit and in truth. That, Lord, you're, you're looking at our hearts and you're looking at us to, to have the right heart as we approach you. Or to know that what we're doing today is more than just um, the processing of information, the recollection of history and the studying of words and scripture, but Lord, there's, there's a spiritual part where you're speaking, you're revealing, you're comforting, you're rebuking, you're correcting. And so, Lord, we pray that, that we would yield to what your spirit wants to do, that more than just an intellectual exercise, Lord, that you would transform us from the inside out. And Father, we pray not only for ourselves, but we pray for the other churches, chapels, church plants, Lord, just 
fellowships that are gathering in the name of Christ, that you would pour out your spirit in a mighty way, or that you would bless the churches today. And we thank you by faith for how you'll speak, how you'll move, and Lord, and how we'll grow. So we commit our time to you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, would you take a moment, say hello to someone, and then you can have a seat. Hey, Evan, I don't know if I, I sound like it's, I'm a little on the high-end side, if you can turn down my... Well, these verses cover some highlights from the life of Moses, and uh, I, I trust with you that God has a, a word that he wants to speak to our life today. The, the unnamed author of Hebrews has been providing this historical examples of real people who trusted God by faith. And his, his aim, if you remember, was to encourage the reader, and of course encourage us, that we too can trust God by faith and that, and that from the beginning that is what God had desired, that this wasn't a, all of a sudden a new concept, that just because they came to Christ and they came to understand that Jesus was the Messiah and now uh, all of the furniture and all of the fixtures and all of the, the tangible things, if you will, that they were used to, the writer is saying, listen, you don't need that anymore. That that was temporary. And now they're following Christ by faith. That that in itself wasn't a new thing. It wasn't a new concept. And so he's giving these examples these Jewish examples, these examples of their patriarchs and matriarchs. And, they're, and, they're, and, and just like these well-known heroes, if you will, of the Old Testament, who were not perfect, who didn't follow God perfectly all the time, they made a lot of mistakes, and yet they still experienced God's love and grace and goodness and God's faithfulness. They, they still were blessed in their life. And, and, and so we too, not perfect. And sometimes we, we run ahead of the Lord and we have faulty faith. And yet we, by the grace of God, can experience his blessings and his, and his faithfulness. God promised us. And so the encouragement too is that we're to follow by faith. Stay the course. Don't turn back. Keep moving forward and trust the Lord. God is faithful. And God wants us to grow in that faith to mature in that faith. We talked before how faith is like a muscle. It, it can be stretched. It can get stronger. And yet, like a physical muscle, it often grows through strain and stresses. It, it grows through the bearing of weight. God allows these circumstances in your life, and he allows them in mine. They're like spiritual resistant bands you know, that, that build our faith up. And so the writer is wanting to encourage us. Encourage us to follow the Lord and follow Christ and keep going. And he provides these examples. And, we've, and we looked at in depth a number of them, beginning with Abel, Adam and Eve's son. He's murdered by his own brother Cain. 
we read that by faith, Abel had offered a more excellent sacrifice. He honored God by what he gave and how he gave it. And it became an example and a challenge for us, a reminder to consider uh, what are we giving to the Lord and what's the attitude of our heart when we give uh, of those things of value, our time and our treasure and our talents to the Lord. Then we looked at Enoch. And we're told simply that by faith, Enoch walked with God. He pleased the Lord. And we talked about how faith isn't only in the, the, the grand things, but it's also in the daily grind. The faith of just following the Lord every day, getting up and following the Lord, dying to our old self. It's a consistent walk with Jesus every day, that kind of faith. And Enoch modeled that for us. And then by faith, we're told Noah, he was warned and he worked. And we too are reminded of how our work is a form of worship and our work is a form of witness. And God uses those things. And, and our faith, if you will, follows us to the workplace and it follows us to school and it follows us in all of our endeavors. It's not just something we do on a Sunday morning or a Wednesday night. And we were challenged to consider, even as Noah was building this thing, uh, what are we building in our life? What are we investing in? And what does it mean for our families? What, it mean, what does it mean for others? And then Abraham and Sarah, we're, we're told by faith they obeyed, and then also they stayed. They went, and, and then they, they paused. And, and sometimes God calls us to go. And we don't have all the answers. We have more questions than we have answers, and yet God says, I want you to go. I want you to take a step of faith. And, and in that, we should you know, be encouraged to know, okay, well, we have God and we have his word. We have everything that we need. Let's go. And yet sometimes God calls us to stay. We want to go. <laughs> We're done with this. And yet the Lord says, hey, just wait on me. And patience is a form of faith. Trust the Lord even when God puts you on pause, as that song often, you know, the lyrics of that song go, that God's working in our waiting. And then each of Israel's patriarchs, we went through four of them, kind of in rapid succession, taught us about faith. Abraham, once again, entrusting the thing that we love the most to the Lord, surrendering that to the Lord. And, and then Isaac, to trust God's will for our family. And to know that even in our messes and even in our dysfunction, and maybe we didn't have uh, the grace family life, but God's still at work and God promises that he can redeem and restore those years take, to make beautiful things from broken lives. And Jacob, we're, we're told that when he was dying, he, he blessed not only his own kids, but his grandkids. To entrust our families to the Lord. Remember, he switched his hands. It was unusual. It wasn't the culture and, and, and how we can have faith even when it's countercultural, even when it doesn't make sense to our family and our friends, that we can trust the Lord and, and, and you know, God redeems all things. And then Joseph, we last left there last week to trust God with our future. We're challenged by doing our best today and yet living for eternity. 
a reminder that this is not our home. We're just passing through. Our true citizenship is in heaven. And so each person's story really is a treasure chest of life lessons. There's much more than what the writer of Hebrews brings out, but he wants to make these points for us of trusting God by faith and what it meant then for for each individual. And now here the writer brings yet another Old Testament figure who once again, like Abraham, especially to the original audience, would need no, uh, really no introduction. And if you're not familiar with the life of Moses, I want to encourage you, give you a homework assignment uh, this week sometime to go to the Old Testament, to the book of Exodus specifically, and you can read about his birth and the things that happened with Moses and through Moses and with Moses. Moses held a, a unique role and relationship with God. God would say of Moses, there is a prophet like no other. Others hear from me, but I, I like a person speaking face to face, that's how I interact with, with Moses. I mean, Moses was able to have a cup of coffee with the Lord, if you will. His relationship was unique. He's, he's uh, in one sense, Israel's first historian. It's Moses, through the inspiration of the Spirit, writes the first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch. And there are great things to learn from his life. But the writer brings us in these several verses to just some key things. And so this morning I want to draw out five of them with you, five lessons of faith that I just want to share with you this morning. We read in verse 23, draw your attention back there, it says, By faith Moses, when he was born, was hidden three months by his parents. And so really as we're introduced to Moses, really the faith is not of Moses as a baby, but more about his parents. That account is found in Exodus chapter 2. It takes place decades following the death of Joseph and his brothers, that generation that was living in Egypt, who had grown and grown, and yet the Bible says they passed away, and along with them was also the king of Egypt, or the Pharaoh that had given so much favor to Joseph and his family, that whole generation is gone. And then we read in Exodus 1.8 that there is a new king in Egypt. There's a new Pharaoh, and he doesn't know Joseph. He doesn't know the, sta- the family line. He doesn't, have the, he doesn't know or appreciate the historical connection uh, of the Israelites living in Egypt and what it meant for them. It's like getting a new boss or a new teacher in the, you know, they don't know you, they don't know history, and they're terrible. And so this new Pharaoh came to power, and he's terrible. One of the things we find out very quickly is he seems to have some insecurity issues. He's threatened by this large number of Hebrews that are living in the land. He's afraid that they could possibly revolt and rise up and He's going to lose power. He's going to lose control. And so he, uh, he puts forth these, these horrible laws, these decrees, these, I'll use the buzzword these days, these mandates to keep the Israelites impoverished and oppressed and enslaved. 
And, and one of those laws, if you, one of those mandates by the head of government was to selectively murder the baby boys of all the Hebrews. Power is intoxicating. As the saying goes, power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. And we have this example of that in the book of Exodus. Of course, governments and leaders, they have created evil, terrible policies and laws since the beginning of time. In a couple weeks as we gather together to celebrate the birth of our Lord, if you're familiar with what happened and transpired during that, there's Herod. Very similar. He's, he is threatened by the news as this entourage comes in are looking for this baby who's been born the king of the Jews. And through deceit, he wants to uh, find so he too can worship. And yet we know that he's threatened. And so he too orders the murder of all of the kids, two years and younger. And the world that we live in today is no different. Sadly, many world leaders are corrupt, intoxicated with power and the pursuit of power, and they're threatened by any resemblance of hope or freedom. And we see it all throughout the world and all throughout history put forth these decrees, these mandates, these laws to destroy life. But gang, we must always remember that God is on the throne. That even in the midst of these corrupt and evil governments, that God has a plan, that God is sovereign, that God will use and allows these things in the midst of evil, and that all the hope that you and I need, it is found in Jesus Christ. Our hope is alive. Amen? And so Pharaoh issues this mandate, every son born must be essentially cast into the river. And the Bible tells us that the, the parents of Moses, learn their names, Jochebed and Amram, they, they said, no, nah, that's going to be a no for us. We're not doing that. And in some ways, we might say that they, they defied or they refused to follow this evil mandate. They go against what the government said that they are to do. They're not going to kill their baby. They're going to preserve life. They're going to honor that gift. They're going to honor the Lord. Now, as an aside, you know, the Bible tells us very plainly in Romans chapter 13 that, that for us as Christians, we should honor the king. We, we should submit ourselves to governing authorities, Obey the law. And, and the uh, interesting thing is that Paul wrote that to the Christians who were in Rome. And if you know the history, that, uh, who's sitting on the throne in Rome was this evil, evil man. And yet at the same time, God also gives us a principle that, if you will, overrides Romans 13. We understand that God is sovereign. He raises kingdoms. He brings kingdoms down, and in and, and his plan of history, God uh, you know, brings these things to be. But there are times where 
obedient, well, not times, I said the default principle is obedience to God overrides obedience to man. In Acts chapter 5, the disciples are told they should no longer proclaim the name of Christ. They can't be spreading the gospel. We don't want you saying the name of Jesus anymore. And they reply back and they say, we ought to obey God rather than man. And so if you will, we have a higher mandate, right? Our faith mandates that we listen to the Lord and honor God above what man says. And getting more and more in our world today, Followers of Christ are finding themselves facing such decision points. I imagine that uh, we need to decide what we're going to do if that decision point ever comes our way. Well, Moses' parents aren't going to kill their baby. The Bible calls him this a beautiful child. When they see him, he's a beautiful child. In the original language, it just means he, he was a good baby. It's interesting to use the word beautiful. I, I've, seen, I've seen some beautiful babies lately. Uh, Caleb and Bella just had their baby, a beautiful little baby. And Hudson's had a baby, and Renee guys had a baby. Our church is growing. It's awesome. Uh, when our son Noah was born, our firstborn, uh, I thought he was beautiful. And then years later, we're looking at baby pictures, and uh, we realized, uh, he's, a, he's a baby. He's a baby. <laughs> and we, yeah, I got permission. I've teased him. We've teased him before. And I should have picked up on it, too, when we were showing his pictures around. People were like, oh, yeah, that's a, that's a baby. You know? <laughs> that's, a, that's a baby boy right there. Like, Yeah. <laughs> No, every child is beautiful in the eyes of the Lord. Every life has worth and value. The world today, again, like leaders today, they have a warped, evil definition of life. Blindly ignore the fact that life begins at conception. That a baby in the womb is a life. No one has the right to take that life, to take a life of another. Maybe you've seen some of these memes uh, floating around, especially on Christmas, right? The first, the first person to recognize the Savior was a baby right, in womb. Remember when Elizabeth and Mary end up meeting up, and Elizabeth, she's like, oh, the baby inside me, you know, jump for joy. Christians, we need to pray for the United States. We, we need to pray for Japan. Abortion is wrong. You're fearfully and wonderfully made in the image of God. And God declares that life is beautiful. And so we must do what we can to protect and preserve life. And so by faith, the parents, they wanted to honor God and his word, even when it was against the orders of the king. And we're told they weren't afraid. They're not afraid of the king's command. The idea that they're not afraid of what was going to happen to them. God has given us a spirit, not of fear, but one of faith, the Bible says. And so from this example, we learn that by faith we should, and I would maybe even add we must, we, we must honor the Lord. We have to obey God and his word above the decrees of this world. And there are times where we're going to stand up for what 
is right and stand for what is right, what is true. What does the Bible say? What does the Scripture say? Even when the world says the opposite, and the world often does, and even when the world demands the opposite, and the world is increasingly demanding the opposite. Because when we compromise our obedience to the Word, we weaken our impact of the gospel. We forfeit our blessings. We also understand that God is gracious and forgiving. God restores and God redeems. And all of these things. And so we're encouraged, we're challenged by the faith of Moses' parents. And then verse 24, we read, By faith, Moses, when he became of age, he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, esteemed the reproach of Christ greater than the riches, excuse me, than greater riches than the treasures that were in Egypt, for he looked to the reward, the payout, the dividend. The account in Exodus tells us that when Moses turned three months old, that his parents put him in a small basket, this little mini ark, and they set him afloat on on the river. And in one sense, by faith, they, they were trusting God and entrusting God, much like Abraham. Here's my kid, Lord. I'm going to take care of my son. And trusting in his providence and, and, and God would do what God thought best. You know, we talked before, that can be one of the hardest things we can do to release control over our kids, over our family, to entrust them to the Lord, their future to the Lord. This little basket floated down to where uh, Pharaoh's daughter was bathing, and she's there with her kind of court, and they see this basket. She opens it up, and there is this little Hebrew baby. And the Bible says that he begins to cry, and, and at that, that's her, her heart melts, all oh, this little baby, and so she decides she's going to keep this baby boy. He's not Egyptian. Little Hebrew baby boy, and yet she adopts him, if you will, and she raises him as an Egyptian. And Exodus tells us that Moses' sister, Miriam, was following. She's watching this all transpire. She's kind of, you know, walking through the reeds, watching the basket. She sees where uh, it goes. She sees uh, Pharaoh's daughter take Moses, and his name means drawn out. In this opportune time, she just kind of walks up and says, hey, you need someone to help nurse that baby? Someone to be the nanny? I know the perfect person. And if you know the account, you know it was Moses' own mom. The goodness of God and the grace of God where Jochebed, you know, blessed by her faith and for her faith, and essentially she gets to then not openly nurse and care for her own son, and she gets a little coin for it, and she gets paid. Well, when Moses grows up, at some point we realize, it says, by faith he became of age. He, he comes to the realization that, that while he grew up in an Egyptian household, he's not Egyptian. That his identity was that that belonged to God's people. 
And we read that then by faith, he rejects the opulence. He, he rejects the splendor of the palace and everything that that would afford him. And then choosing rather to suffer affliction with God's people. Again, imagine this, his world and his lifestyle, his education. To be raised in Pharaoh's household, the I imagine his life was exciting, enticing, that he could have anything that he wanted, the access that he had, and the power, and the influence, and the wealth that he had. I mean, every imaginable sinful pleasure was at his disposal. And he says, I, I don't want that. I, I want, I'd, I'd rather be with God's people and suffer You know, Egypt is a, is a symbol, it's a type of the world, it's a picture of, of the world. It's the world that we live in that promotes and parades sinful living. And getting to a place, not only does it then just uh, tolerate it, it, now it is uh, demanding it, now it's prescribing it doesn't just invite you and entice you. doesn't just present itself as normative, normal, as everybody is doing this. It is now saying you, you also then have to uh, acquiesce to this and agree to this. And yet the Bible is very clear. That is the, that's the world. We're not to live in the world. We're not to be a friend of the world. We're not to love the world. You know, that phrase is interesting, right? The, uh, to suffer affliction with the people of God rather than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. The passing pleasures of sin. Sin, sin you know, the Bible is, uh, is realistic, right? It, it, there's pleasure in sin for a season, yet it's a passing pleasure. It's a temporary rush. It's like eating sugar. You, you get this rush, but then you crash hard. The Bible says that the end of sin is death, that the wages of sin, the outcome of sin, it's death, Romans 6.23. And sin promises, it looks good, it ends enticing, and yet it does not truly satisfy, it does not deliver, it's very deceiving. Right? It, it, it leaves you hollowed, in your heart. It leaves you shallow in your soul. It deceives us and warps the way we think. I've shared over the years, it's not very deep theology, but look at the life of David and he's there on the rooftop and he sees Bathsheba and then he, you know, as the Bible says that, you know, our lusts give birth to sin. And he just rejects common sense. He rejects a warning. And you know, sin can make us stupid. Like people have done the stupidest things because they're just following sin. Yet, yet we realize Moses, he's not stupid. He, he esteemed the reproach of Christ. He esteemed the suffering with God's people greater than 
what life in the world would afford him, greater than the, the riches and the treasures of Egypt. Moses, if you will, the idea of esteemed, it's, a, it's, a, it's an analytical term or it's an accounting term. He runs the numbers and he realizes that what this will give me at the end is nothing compared to, to what I have in the Lord. In fact, even by faith, it says the reproach of Christ. Christ, you know, Jesus isn't a contemporary of Moses. He's looking forward by faith. And to know that even what awaits him on the other side of eternity is so much greater than anything he can experience on this side of heaven. The Apostle Paul you know, had the same uh, calculation. He came to the same conclusion in his running the numbers. And he writes to the Philippians in chapter 3 and he says, Indeed, I count. I've tabulated. I count everything. Now, mind you, Paul, in a similar way, had power and prestige and clout and influence. He had religion. And yet he says, everything I count as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ my Lord. And for his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things, and I count them as trash, I count them as rubbish, as garbage, in order that I may gain Christ, be found in Him, and not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, comes from religion, but it comes through faith in Jesus Christ. A righteousness that is dependent upon faith in the Lord, Paul writes. This is the treasure we have in Jesus Christ. And to realize that it exceeds any earthly reward, any earthly gain or stock or cryptocurrency or whatever you might uh, you know, be investing in on this side of heaven that you could ever own, that you could ever pursue. The Bible says it's like a pile of garbage compared to what God has for you, compared to knowing the Lord. And isn't it amazing, even if we suffer, even if we're hurting, God says, that is currency. Paul writes to the Corinthians says that even our present suffering is working for us this eternal weight of glory. Paul writes to the Romans and says, you know, I, he doesn't even consider the sufferings of this present time to be worthy of, to be compared to the glory that awaits us. And so number two, we encourage and challenge that, that, you know, faith provides us then the key for contentment in this life and, and then essentially living for what truly matters, to be investing, if you will, in the bank of heaven. We've talked about that before over the years. That you do not and I do not want to cheat ourselves and settle for anything less than what God desires for us. And it's then through faith that we have this lens that enables us to see that reality. When the world promotes this whole other definition of what success looks like, of what contentment looks like, of what value looks like, that faith becomes the lens to say that, that, that 
what the world has to offer isn't going to satisfy me. It's only found in Christ. Let me seek after that. And so Moses refused to be called a child of this world. Gang, we're to reject the world's claim on us. Any identity that the world wants to ascribe, to choose Christ today, to choose to follow Jesus today. And yes, it will mean, you know, those who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus, we will suffer persecution. It will hurt. There will be times where people will mock you and scoff at you and unfriend you. And Knowing what God has promised you doesn't compare to whatever this world has to offer. It is trinkets compared to the treasure that God has waiting for you. And Moses suffered, and his people suffered. And when we do, it can become a reminder that greater things are coming, a reminder that God's using that. Those are the building blocks to the investment for this greater weight of glory that awaits us. Verse 27, we read, By faith he forsook Egypt. Again, kind of a qualifying, defining statement of what's been written already. He forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king like his parents. He didn't care. Why? For he endured it enabled him to run his race. He saw him who's invisible. He, 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 he sees the Lord. He's locked on to that. And so we can write it this way in number three, that by faith we can forsake the old life. Similar to what we talked about just before. You know, Moses, again, had a ton going for him. Wealth and position and power, his family name. Sky was the limit. I mean, even as a foreigner, he's set for life. And yet he, he gave it up all because he had a higher calling. God called him to something. Recently in the news, in Japan, uh, Princess Mako, she, uh, if you didn't know, she is no longer part of the royal family. So she was the princess, and yet she married a commoner, and willingly gave up her royal status. Her official title was Her Imperial Highness Princess Mako. And that's what she was known as until October 26th of this year. Now she's Mrs. K. Komura. She left it for love. Said, I'm done. Moses left everything for a greater love and a calling. God came to him and God told Moses, Moses, you grew up in this for a season, but that season is done. That was your old life. I'm calling you to a new life. You're to leave behind the old life and and all the old titles and all the old accolades. And as the saying goes, it took 40 years for Moses to become a somebody growing up in Egypt, and then it took another 40 years for him to learn to become a nobody, and then the last 40 years of his life to realize that God can take a nobody and make them a somebody for God's sake. And so by faith, Moses followed that calling, and he endured 
He endured that long season of transition, of training. He was being prepared to become a leader that God wanted him to be so that he can go and lead others to become followers of God. Okay, when God calls you, all of us are called first to leave the old life, to repent, to turn away from our old life, to turn away from the world. We're called first out of the world and away from our old life to come to Him first. And the beginning of that is then to leave behind and forsake the old. We can't linger in our old life. We can't try to live in our old sinful ways and expect that God is going to bless us or expect that God's going to move us forward. And, and perhaps God is calling you to forsake something today. That what God has for you next, God's saying you need to leave this behind now in the name of loving the Lord. And for some of you, it may look like Moses. You have this sense of calling that God's changing your season or the chapter's changing or this chapter's going to close and a new one's going to open. And God's saying to you, be ready. I encourage you in the Lord, be ready. How will you pursue the Lord this coming season? And so by faith, he forsakes the old life, and by faith we too can forsake the old life and leave that behind. And then verse 28, it's the counterpart of that. It says, by faith he, he kept the Passover, the sprinkling of blood, lest he who destroyed the firstborn should, should touch them. And so by faith, Moses kept the Passover. Oh, forgive me, this is the interlude, it's not the counterpart. I'll get to the counterpart next point, sorry. Our, our faith in Christ, here's how I summarize it, and it means a lot of different things, but our faith in Christ provides, if you will, us protection. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 16 Paul's describing our armor, the armor of God. And so in Ephesians 6.16, we're told to take up our shield of faith. It's our faith that helps to protect us. And specifically in context, the idea is spiritual battle and the enemy who fires his fiery darts at us. But it begins with salvation, deliverance from the wrath to come, deliverance from judgment. And so here we're reminded of that. Again, the account goes on to say that time after time, Moses would go to Pharaoh and say, hey, I'll paraphrase, hey, bro, you got to let my people go. Because God's not happy. And if you don't let them go, bad things are going to come your way. You don't want to mess with the Lord. And nine cycles of Pharaoh saying, ah, I don't know, can we compromise? Do you have to be so extreme in your faith? Can't you just do this? Then he would say, okay, but then immediately after he'd say, no, nah, never mind. He, he would, in a sense, ghost you know, Moses and he'd ignore the command of God. Nine cycles. 
And what happens? Pharaoh's heart just gets harder and harder. And God, in a sense, ratifies and says, okay, fine, you're going to be like that? Then I'm going to let you be like that. Then finally on this 10th cycle, God says, okay, enough is enough. I'm done. And, and the judgment is severe. God says, I'm going to send this spirit of death. And he's going to come through the entire land. And he's going to take all of the firstborns of the land. And God calls Moses to the side and says, here's how my people can be saved from that. Here's how they can be safe from that. I want you to go home and get this lamb, completely innocent. Bring it home. Have it part of your household for a bit. And the night before, I want you to take that animal and I want you to sacrifice it. And then take the blood of that animal. It would be, it would be a graphic visual of what sin costs. And they take the blood, and God says, and I want you to put it upon your doorframe. And so when the blood of this sacrificial lamb is seen by this angel or the spirit of death, this destroyer that comes, he will then pass over your house. That's hence the name, it's just Passover. But those families, if you will, were saved because of the blood of that sacrifice being applied. It was radical, it was unusual, and it had never been done before, and yet Moses and the others were left with this decision. Are they going to believe God? Are they going to trust God? Are they going to apply this? And by faith, we know they did. They said, okay, it's unusual. It's radical, but we will do it. And because of that, they were saved. Their families were saved. And that whole event, many of you know this, right? That whole event becomes this foreshadow. It's a, it's a prophetic picture that points us forward to Jesus. The faith that's required, believing in Jesus, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world our Passover lamb, that by his sacrifice, his life, his blood, applied, if you will, to the, the door of our heart, cleanses us and washes us. It, because of his sacrifice, we, if you will, are saved and we're protected. We're passed over from the, the judgment of God. It's radical, it's unusual, the Bible says it's foolishness to people when they hear it, and yet it is the truth. It's what we must do in order to be saved. The Bible says to believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. And so by faith, when we accept and we receive Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, the Bible says we're saved. I pray that you've prayed that prayer. I pray that you've made that confession. It may be unusual, it may seem foolish, and yet it's the absolute truth. And we have this beautiful picture of that. And then we're told by faith they passed through the Red Sea as by dry land, whereas the Egyptians attempting to do so were drowned. And so lastly here, verse 29, that by faith they moved forward, if you will, in freedom. 
Exodus tells us that Egypt would reluctantly let them go. And yet, when they go, even after all that happened, the enemy will pursue them. When we come to faith in Christ, we're new creations. The Bible says all the old things have been done away. We're a new creation, right? The old life is gone, and yet the enemy of our soul, our old nature is still there, and it still pursues us. It still tries to have dominion over us. That's why the Bible says to reckon the old nature dead. We're to die to ourselves every day, pick up our cross, and follow the Lord. It's our spiritual battle. God led this massive group of a million plus people to the Red Sea. And miraculously, God parted the waters, created this channel, this corridor for all of these people to to cross over, as we're told here, on dry ground. The Egyptian army, if you remember the account, they're in pursuit, them and their chariots. And they're in hot pursuit of the people. And the, the nation of, you know, the Israelites are, are, are ways ahead of them, and so they are able to get all the way through. They cross over, and, and as the army, uh, you know, the Egyptian army try to go into the same pathway through those waters, God released the waters, and, and we're told they drowned. Paul uses that same historical account, he writes in 1 Corinthians 10, and he says that that event is like our baptism in Christ. That we left the old life of sin. God delivered us out of Egypt, out of bondage. And we've come into our new life in Christ. And just as God led with the cloud and through the waters, he writes in 1 Corinthians 10, our old nature tries to follow But God has set you free. And God has set you free from where you used to be and who you used to be and how you used to live. And so here's the counterpart. See, we're we're called to away from the old life, to, to forsake the old life, but then we're also called to move forward in faith. It's to leave and it's to go, forsake and follow, to enter into all of the promises that God has for you, to move forward in your faith. And it's not freedom then to sin again, right? It's not freedom to, to do whatever we want. It's freedom from sin. It's freedom from the, uh, the bondage of our old life. Faith that enables us to move forward and apprehend all that God has for you. Some of us, perhaps, you've been set free, but you're still just standing on the shore. And God's calling you to move forward in faith and to grow in faith and to strengthen your faith. And you need to know that your past is forgiven. All is forgiven and all is forgotten. Everything you need to move forward, God has provided. You just have to pass through whatever God's brought you to. You are released. 
you are free. Move forward in what God has called you to do. That's our word for this morning. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for these lessons of faith and life that we glean from Moses. God, I, I do pray that these things are encouragements, they are challenges for us. Lord, I trust that at least one of these things, it's a word for somebody here. God's called you out of your old life. Don't dwell there anymore. God's changed your address. So don't go back. Don't live there anymore. You've been set free and, and, and free not to then to go to sin and not to, or not even just to stand still. But God's called us to move forward, to move forward by faith. Thank you that we've been forgiven because of the blood of the Lamb of Christ. Freed from and delivered from the righteous judgment that God will bring upon this world, but also from all the fiery darts the enemy wants to fire away, that we can advance in the kingdom, we can advance in, in pursuit of all that God has for us. Lord, thank you as a reminder that this world uh, will ultimately afford us nothing. At the end, it's just a pile of garbage, it's trash. Help us to see that now, Lord. That we might learn to be content. That we wouldn't strive for acquisition of things. But Lord, that we would live for what truly matters. And Lord, help us to just to stand for what is right. To honor you and obey you. Lord, even above this world and their increasing demands and pressure for us to follow their decrees, their mandates. Lord, help us to stand our ground. Help us not to compromise our faith in you. We thank you for the example of Moses and the people of Moses and the parents of Moses. Lord, may we follow in that example today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Love you guys. I pray you have a great day.